0: Um, With these next couple of weeks that are coming up, we are entering into, as I'm sure you know, one of the busiest, craziest travel seasons in the entire year. And for me, maybe for some of you as well, this can cause some extra stress, some anxiety. Uh, I've had some great experiences traveling, but I've also had some Kind of sketchy, scary moments. And so, for example, I'll just say this. Uh, Past June, um, I got the opportunity, the privilege, to travel overseas for the first time, really. To travel to a place called Turkey, where we have a family from our church who is out there. And (laughs) they are doing some pretty amazing things. And as excited as I was to go see my friends and to see this family, I I had some stress. I had some anxiety because outside of my military experience... I've never really traveled outside the United States. I mean, I've done a cruise ship, but they tell you where to go. You don't even need a passport. You can just bring your birth certificate. So it was like this idea of traveling, it made me just a little bit stressful. And so leading up to this trip, a group and myself, a part of that group, we would meet up a couple of times and go through some checklists just to make sure that we had everything we needed because you needed to get there, but you also need to get back. So that was essential to us. And so we're meeting, and because of that, I felt a little more calm getting up towards the, uh, the actual trip itself. And when we got to the actual airport, and we're walking through, and we get to this long check-in line to get into our flight, I felt pretty good. Like, I, I felt solid, because I knew I had checked all the boxes, I had printed all the documents, I had everything with me, I packed the clothes I needed, I was good to go. But as we're getting closer to this line or the check-in table, I noticed a couple of airline employees, and they're pre-checking some of the documentation. And at that point, still, I feel pretty good because, like, no, I had done everything. I'm, I'm good to go. So when they come up to me and they're like, can we get your documentation, like your COVID test, your passport, doc, like your license, any of that kind of stuff that they needed, I was like, yeah, here you go, here you go, here you go. I felt good to go until I wasn't. Apparently, I had taken the wrong COVID test. Yeah, my heart sank, y'all. Like, it was like done. Like, wait, what? Like, for, if you didn't know this, for international travel, you needed to take a PCR test. And I had taken an antigen test. And as this lady is trying her best to explain this to me, and I'm trying to remain calm, I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying, because I took a COVID test. <laughs> like, I had done what I was supposed to do. Everything is there. What are you talking about? Because at that time, I didn't know there was different versions of this. And at that point, they removed me from the line, not by force, don't worry, not by force, but they removed me from the line and, and kind of like, hey, just figure this out, man. And, and I watched my group go ahead because they're good to go and, and the people with the right documentation is ready to go and I had to figure this out. And maybe for some of you, memories are coming up with the children, like with your kids, as you're trying to travel overseas or do something, and, and you're trying to make sure do I have all the things, and they pack the right stuff, and you're starting to cringe just remembering those memories, because we've all experienced at some point in our life when we think we're doing everything right, we think we're checking all of the boxes, but when we're missing one essential piece, things go from good to bad real quick. Maybe for you, it was when you went to the DMV. and Yeah, hard feeling for that one. After two months of waiting <laughs> to get into that place, you get to the counter and they tell you, oh, you're missing a signature. <sighs> or, or that one extra document that shows proof of residence. Maybe it was a time when you were going to that concert or that game and you drive halfway there only to realize you had left the tickets on the counter. And now you've got to tell everybody in the car. Or maybe there's a time when nothing's going right in the morning you're trying to get the kids ready for school and so you get them clothed and you get the lunch boxes packed and everything seems good you get to the stop sign and all of a sudden you look in your rearview mirror and there's only one of the kids in the car <laughs> Now there's no judgment here for this okay I'm not that's not why I'm here my point my point is this that we have all faced situations in our life where we may think that we are doing everything right And that we're checking all the right boxes, but when we're missing one essential piece, things can go from good to bad really quick. And for the church in Corinth that we've been reading about this year, the same can be said for them. In their minds, they were doing all the right things they thought they were supposed to do as Christians. They were checking all the boxes, using their gifts to the full. like They were doing what they were supposed to but as we'll see as we read in chapter 13 today, they were missing one essential piece to their faith and what it means to follow Jesus. And while Jesus is, I'm sorry, Paul, well, speaking through, but Paul is speaking about something that is specific to the Christian church. Let me also encourage those who aren't Christians in the room that this is still a lesson that we can have impact our lives today. Because if we really listen to what Paul is saying and we, and we utilize this in our life, this will have an, a, a positive effect on your relationships, in your workplaces, and in your marriages, and so much more. But before we get into our main passage today, I feel that the need to give you just a little bit of context when we come to our main passage, because context is key. Whenever we're reading scripture, you have to understand the context that surrounds our passage, and that's what we're going to do today. But the easiest way to do that would be to read chapter 12 into chapter 13. Now, I'm not going to do that because we'll be here for a little bit longer if we did that, but if you haven't seen it, you can listen to it online, or if you just need a refresher, let me give you what you need to know so you understand what Paul's saying today. And this is it, like the human body, the body of Christ, which is his church, has many parts to it, meaning that we are all individually purposed with gifts as directed by the Holy Spirit. And as we are assembled together like we are in this place, then we make one unified body to do the work that God has called us to do on this earth, one body empowered by one spirit. So, while we may have different gifts or different roles in a church or purposes, we all function together, unified. And not one is more essential than the other. Every part is needed. We need every gift, we need every person. That is the truth. And the church in Corinth, however, began to see certain gifts and certain roles in the church as higher status than others. And maybe we've done this before as well, where we see what people have or what people are able to do and their gifts and their abilities or something like that and think, oh, if only it was this, if only I had that, and we envy, and this is what Paul is going to speak about here today. Tension and division begin to take place within the church body when that happens. Now, I want to jump into our main text today, but I'm going to do something just a little bit different. I like to do this with our youth ministry on Sunday nights. Um, we're going to kind of do this little kind of speak with me kind of deal. So I'm going to read this scripture, but what I want you to do is when you see an underlying bolden word, I want you to speak that out with me. Can you all do that? Is that good? All right. So participate. So That's what I'm talking about. Let's do this. All right. So we are going to jump in, but just know that the major issue that I brought up gifts and stuff like that. We're going to be talking about the context of gifts. But Paul is not against gifts. He's all for them. The major issue is elevating, them the, elevating the gifts higher than they should be. And he's going to show them that the primary marker is not what you have or what you know. It's about the love that you have for one another. This is the context that we have for today. So let's jump into the main text starting in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's do this together. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong. Good job. (laughs) I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. If I give all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Remember what is taking place in the church in Corinth at this time. Particular gifts, as we saw, that are mentioned, like tongues and prophecy, great understanding and knowledge, and even sometimes their faith. They would take these, look at them, and they were beginning to be used as markers that would identify their spiritual maturity, kind of who they were, their status in the church. Even the amount that someone was willing to give from their possessions to their life, these were things that people would boast about or praise on themselves. Like if you did this or that, if you did these spiritual things, that meant you had arrived somehow in your faith. And that's not the case. What Paul is saying here is that you can have all or any one of these things to the max, But if it doesn't contain or isn't it driven by love, it falls flat. It means nothing. Love is the motive that should drive everything we do as Christians. The fact that Paul is saying all of this in the text, we can understand that. Instead, they were loving their gifts and their statuses more than the people those things were meant to serve. Let me say that again so it really sinks in because we can be easily guilty of this from time to time ourselves. Instead, they were loving their gifts and their statuses more than the people those things were meant to serve. And he's not presenting an either or situation here that you can either have gifts or have love as if love is another gift to obtain. No, what he's saying is that gifts without love mean nothing. That love should be the primary marker that identifies every follower of Jesus. And when it is, they will use their gifts to not just glorify God, but use them in the way that he intended, and that is to build up the church. I love that Paul uses this analogy of a faith that can move mountains. He didn't come up with this himself. This is actually something that Jesus taught on in Matthew 17, That if someone had faith the size, hello, (laughs) the size of a mustard seed, that they could remove mountains. And Paul goes along with this, and he he tries to help show us that, yes, that is absolutely true. And what he's saying is, Paul, uh, he says, if you do not have the love that you need, you won't be able to do that. Love is the thing that drives us to move the mountains, to see situations to see needs or mountains in people's lives. And if you have love, then you can move those mountains. Does that define us as a church? How are we doing that? Is that what's defining us as our love or is it the other things in our lives that represent or identify us? It should be love is Paul is what Paul is saying. But what exactly is love? Because so far he hasn't really clarified that. I would say that more often than not, Love is something that is simply, I would say we equate it with an emotional feeling. We kind of simplify, oversimplify it, where we we say, this is something I feel, or maybe this is an attraction that I experience for someone or, or something. And it doesn't help that we live in a day and age that defines love as love, which is really just no definition at all, but a mentality that love can be whatever you want it to be. And if someone like Paul comes along and tries to define love in a way that is different from our own definition, that'll cause us to cringe just a little bit. We don't like that. As a society, we are all about defining the things the way we want them to be defined. But if love can mean one thing to one person and something completely different to another, how can we like authentically share that? How can I share love if it means something completely different to you? When we lose the true picture of what love is, as God has identified it, as to determine what this is the purpose of, we, we losing it. We, we cheapen what love can be when we remove it from God's plan. And Paul is saying here that it's really important to our faith. And thankfully, Paul doesn't just leave us without clarifying what love is. When we continue into this text, the first section shows us as this is important to your faith. This second section is going to describe what it looks like. Or maybe even more clearly, what it doesn't look like. Because love can be defined. Love can be defined. But before we continue into verse 4 through 7, it really talks about what love is or what love isn't. I need to kind of send out this disclaimer. I feel the need to. Because many of us probably are familiar with this passage. Whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, you've probably heard this passage before. Just simply, have you been to a wedding? Have you seen a wedding on TV or in a movie? This is known as like the wedding passage. But let me challenge you not to think of weddings when we read this scripture together. Because as I mentioned earlier, Paul is not talking about marriage. He's talking about a love that is shared between members in a church, a faith community. While it can certainly mean something for a, for a marriage covenant or for any friendship, specifically, Paul is talking to a church. So try, try to remove that. I know it can be hard, but remove the wedding aspect of it and really dig deep as to what Paul is saying. And lastly, let me also challenge you to read this passage for yourself. It's so easy for us to look at this passage and be like, yep, yep, got that, but this dude... Or this, like, we, we like to identify as someone else, but what if it was speaking to us and we just didn't know it? Let me encourage you to read this for yourself, because while it applies to others, it does apply to us as well. And I my hope is that every one of us that have come here this morning or are watching online to be encouraged and to grow in our own faith. And I believe when we do that, we will become more unified as a body. If we will read this text and use it in the way that we see how we are to love the people around us better, then naturally our friendships, our relationships, our marriages, they will become more unified as well. All right, so let's dive right back in. I'm going to read some. You're going to see bold in the letters and come with me on that one. 1 Corinthians 13, pick up in verse 4. Here we go. Love is patient and I got you on a double one right there. Now, what I'd like to do is actually read this passage one more time, but I want to read it in the New International Version, just to shed a little bit more light as to what this passage is getting at. But you don't have to read it with me. Just listen to the words that are coming from Paul. Here we go. This is NIV. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud, and it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. As you probably noticed, Paul is defining love more by what it isn't than what it is. And the reason for that is because he's trying to correct what is taking place already within the Corinthian church. Because certain people were viewing and elevating gifts in roles higher than another. Instead of experiencing love for one another in a church body, that wasn't taking place. Those who didn't have certain gifts or certain roles became envious of those who did, and that wasn't made easier because those who did would flaunt it or boast about it to those who didn't. And as you can imagine, this would, cro- this would cause tension, begin to have division within the church. It was no longer a place filled with love, but with toxicity. Because people were more worried about themselves than the body of Christ. But God has called us to do so much more, to love those around us, to build up the church is what the scripture says, not to build ourselves up or puff ourselves up, as it says. And he's given us these gifts and resources to be able to do just that. However, if we're not driven by love, we will tend to focus or seek the things that only best interest us. And some of the worst things in human history have been committed because of that mentality. Love has to be at the center. Now many of us will hear this and agree with Paul and go, yeah, let's get rid of evil, yo. Let's do it, get it, get it gone. Let's just love people, love. And we get excited about that. But the part where we begin to cringe in this text is the part especially in our cultural uh, cultural climate is this idea of rejoicing in truth rejoicing in truth paul this truth that he's speaking about is an absolute truth a truth that is meant to guide our lives and we really don't like the idea of being told how to live our lives or what we're doing is wrong or maybe outside of god's ways in fact, oftentimes when a Christ follower tries to help a brother or sister by showing them the error of their ways, that they're stepping outside of God's plan. It's not seen as love. It's seen as hatred. But that's not what Paul is describing here. He says love, real love rejoices in truth. And sometimes that means the most loving thing one follower of Christ can do for another with the, with the love that he's describing in this letter is to correct them and guide them in the way that they're living, to bring them back to God's ways. And on the other side of that, we should be able to rejoice in that, even though it doesn't feel good sometimes. But if we know that the other people on that end who are coming to us, if they care about us and love us, we should be able to rejoice that, though this hurts me and I don't like what I'm hearing, I know you have my best interest at heart because I know that you love me. And that's how we can rejoice in the truth and being corrected even in the truth. That's what it means to be a community. That's what it means to have each other's back, even when it's hard. And what Paul is doing in this letter to the Corinthians is one big correction, a loving correction, is that you are focusing on the wrong things and you're failing to love one another truly. He's showing them at the center of all that they should be doing as a church isn't your gifts or your roles or what you have or your achievements? It needs to be love. Because those things that you're holding on to so tightly, that you're flaunting over others or envying what someone else has, those things will all fade away in time. They will one day cease to exist. And similarly, I think that we can look at our gifts, our title, the achievements we obtain in this life, the awards we may have, the pensions we may have, the money we may stock for ourselves. And we look at that and we think that means something. But what Paul is saying is it all goes away, every one of it. And the one thing that's going to remain is love. Love will continue on when all else fails. Love has no end. Let's finish the text as we pick up in verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in the mirror dimly. The NIV says, only a reflection, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. It's love. Paul is showing the Corinthian church, as well as us today, that it is pointless to worship the gifts or positions or the things they hold or what others hold. But if they continue to do this, they will one day realize that it was all for nothing, that these things that they're holding on to will only fade away, that they are just shadows of the things to come. Gifts like prophecy and knowledge will one day for them never exist because they won't be needed anymore anymore. The current knowledge that someone possesses in their life one day will be obsolete because God will reveal all of truth. And then Paul gives us this real life example, one we can all relate to, where he speaks of a natural maturity that we see or hopefully should see as we grow up in our lives. We gain better understanding. And in the same way of natural maturity, we will grow in spiritual maturity. But for now, we only know and understand things in part, and one day we will know the things of God. About a few months ago, or a month ago, or so, October—I don't, babe, I don't know—not <laughs> too long ago, uh, I got to experience a sweet thing. Um, I have one nephew; it's the only nephew I have. I had never met him before, and I will tell you, he is the cutest little kid I've ever experienced, and we got to go to New Hampshire where they are, where I grew up, and I got to see him for the first time, and when we were there, we were also there to celebrate his one-year-old birthday, one years old, adorable, redhead, blue eyes, I mean, he's just cutest thing ever, I'll, I'll, I'll put it up to any other kid, I'm just saying, but uh, man, he's smart, he's real smart, um, he... <laughs> As I'm there, I'm just kind of taken back in awe because while I'm sitting with him, he's on my lap, we're having full-on conversations. Like, he is speaking in these beautiful sentences, talking to me like we're boys. He's one years old, and he's talking to me like, hey, man, what's going on? I know. here's the thing, I don't understand him. He is speaking in some angelic tongue or language I've never heard before. But I'm telling you, I mean, he's having full conversations with me. I'm like, Grayson, that's awesome, man. That's so cool. I don't know what you're saying. But he is talking to me the best that he knows how to communicate. It's the only way that he knows how to understand and and he's trying his best, but this is as limited as he is for now. And in time, he will grow in his understanding. He'll be able to speak to me more clearly as he understands more truth and more knowledge. And just like any other kid, when he's fussy, he can't get his way, he, he just gets a little bit more fussy and that's all he knows how to communicate. And one day... One day, that won't work anymore, and and that'll fade away because he'll start to get better understanding. It'll work for now, but not for the long haul. One day, the current way he speaks to me will be obsolete. He'll be able to speak beautiful, beautiful words. The same is true for us today and for the church in Corinth Yes, utilize the gifts that you have right now. And if you don't know what those are, we talked about them last week. Email a staff member. We will help you discover your gifts. But yes, utilize them. Use your gifts to the best that you know how. Use your wisdom and knowledge and the things that you possess to encourage and bless others. Just don't make them your everything. Don't make them all that you are. Because one day, these things will fade out of existence and God will show us fully all the things we could ever hope to know. But until that day comes, we are challenged to focus, not on the things we do or know, again, yes, use them to glorify God, but focus on the things that have eternal impact, eternal impact, and remain forever, and that is love, and it's driven by love. So what does that look like for you? What does that look like in the context of the church? Because remember, Paul is first and foremost speaking of a love shared between believers. Now I know there are plenty of ways that you can show love in this church by serving and utilizing your gifts. Maybe that looks like giving or maybe that looks like service or relationship building and strengthening people's faith. That is discipleship. The sad reality is that most people look at the church as something, and they might not say this, you might not even feel this, but realistically as we see it on the ministry side of things, it's something to be consumed. Well, I want it this way or that worship wasn't good enough for me and I don't want to. I want it to be better, but I don't want to do anything about it. We, we look at it as something to be consumed, but God's calling it to be something to be invested into. And that's why he's given us the gifts and he's blessed people with certain abilities. Your gifts are not there for selfish gain. It's there to build up the community of believers that you share your faith with. That, that is love and action. But let's move beyond Sunday mornings because church is not something that just takes place on Sundays. For those of you who don't know, November is actually Foster Care and Adoption Awareness Month. And for us as Area 10, that's a big part of our DNA. What would it look like for you to love others in such a way that would cause you to serve? Maybe on our Engage team, because maybe it's like uh, foster care and adoption, that is overwhelming to me, that's not something I feel called to, and that's okay, not everybody is called to, but some are. What if it was in joining an engaged team to give support and wraparound care for families who are called to that, or to serve in places like UMFS, or VKB, who are serving children and students and young adults who are in the foster care system and who need to experience the love that is in you. What does it look like for you to take love like this outside of the church where it still applies? Whether it's at work or in your relationships or in your marriage, when we care more about ourselves and those around us, tension and division will begin to show up. But when we love and care for those around us in the ways that God calls us to in this passage, then that team or friendship or marriage will grow stronger and more unified just as long as love is the essential piece that drives us to do these things love is more than an emotion it is more than an attraction that we experience love is the one thing that should last all of time scripture says love is the motive that has driven christians from the beginning of christianity to do things that nobody else was willing to do. It's not the things that we have, the things that we're able to do, the things that we have in our life that mark us as Christians. What should mark you as a follower of Jesus is not the gifts or knowledge you possess, but the love that you have for others. How are we doing this as a church today? Are you using your God-given gifts To show love to one another, to the people in this room. To build up the church and to build up those on your left and on your right. I would imagine that if any of you were asked, are you a loving person? You would probably tell me, yeah, of course. But how would you really know? I want to give you some questions just to reflect on. So don't raise your hand or don't say anything out loud. But just reflect on these questions to see where you are when it comes to loving others. Is this true for you? Do you tend to care more about saying all the right things over how you say them? Paul says, without love, the things you say are just noises that are coming out of your mouth, which amount to nothing. Because if your heart and what you're saying is not aligned with God's love, no one will be able to hear it. No one can hear it. Is your identity wrapped up in the things you can do or having everyone in the room think you're the smartest? If so, I want you to hear this. You could possess the knowledge and understanding of something that goes beyond what anyone around you understands, and that may be true. Or you may have or portray to have the deepest faith in the room, and with that, it can be real easy to get frustrated with the people around you thinking, man, if they would just know what I know, if they would just be more like me, Has that ever crossed your mind? But Paul is saying that without love behind each of these things, what you know or what you do, you are nothing. That's hard for us to hear. Last one, do you only do certain things in your faith or in your life because you know it will benefit you in the end? Paul teaches us that If you do all these things that you think you're supposed to do in this life, and if you check all the boxes in your faith and your heart is not in the right place, meaning that love is not behind everything that you drew, driving you to share what you have, whether it be knowledge or possessions, that's not behind it all. You don't earn anything. There's no favor with God that you earn in that by just doing all the things, but there's no love behind it. There's no new life from that. In fact, you gain nothing, Paul says. Remember, what should mark you as a follower of Jesus is not the gifts or knowledge that you possess, but the love you have for others. I understand that not every Christian that you've ever encountered in your life is someone you would mark as loving. I get that. And honestly, to be a follower of Jesus in this time, you're probably going to be stamped as someone other than loving, whether that's true or not. But I believe if we apply the truth we learn in this passage to our lives, what Paul is describing, this love, if we embody that, what would your life look like? Would it change how you led your children in faith? Would it change how you speak to your husband or your wife? Would it improve your relationships with your family or your coworkers or your teammates? Would it have an impact on the way that our church, our church body is able to reach those in the city who have never experienced the love that comes from Jesus? You may not be able to change how the world views Christianity and whether it's loving or not. But you can change how people in your circle view it by how you show love to those around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to be here and to to speak to this church body, to my church body, who I'm a part of. And God, I, I mess up from this from time to time as well, but God, we need to be challenged, even in verses and passages we think we're familiar with. God, love is everything for us as Christians. It drives us, it should drive us to do the things that we're called to do. You've led by example in this through your son Jesus. The scripture says God is love and Jesus is the embodiment of that love. God, help us to experience that. If we've never experienced that in this room, I pray, Lord, that those who have not known Jesus or put their life and trust and hope in him would experience that love, would talk to a team member and say, I want to commit to Jesus. I want to experience that love. And we will baptize them, God, into your kingdom. But God, help us to show love to those around us, especially as we head into a holiday season where families come together and drama can take place. Help us to show love that isn't explained because we can just do it on our own, but we need you to show that love. God, you know us as people. We can be difficult sometimes. People can be difficult, but you're still calling us to love all those around us. Help us to do that, to embody the love that you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.